All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City on this is the 16th day of July, 2019. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises coming along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, Radisson Mining, and Great Bear Resources. I wrote in my newsletter this past week that over the past 40 years since I've been following junior mining companies, I have seldom been as excited about the prospects of the junior miners as I am now. Not only does the industry now seem to have some wind at its back in the form of higher gold prices, but many of the companies I'm following in my letter have had phenomenal exploration success uh, and uh, discoveries that have been made as a result. Let me give you a couple of examples of those. Just this morning, Great Bear Resources, which has shown signs of being on to not just one, but possibly two major gold discoveries in the Red Lake District of Ontario, announced the discovery of a new high-grade gold zone, which is 1.4 kilometers along strike along the LP Fault from the recently discovered Bear Rumeni zone, which appears to be geologically similar to the famous high-grade Hemlo discovery in Ontario and the very rich Fosterville gold mine owned by Kirkland Lake, which is their leading project. This morning, the stock shot up by some 13% on that news, but the magnitude of prospective structure yet to be drilled is so amazingly large that this, uh, that this massive, I think there's just massive blue sky potential that remains for this stock. And uh, Chris Taylor, the CEO of the company, is scheduled to be on this show uh, on August 6th. I don't think you're going to want to miss that if you're interested in this, uh, investing in this sector. Uh, on Monday, July 15th, Radisson Mining Resources, another sponsor to this show, announced a very significant increase in the grade of its resource at its O'Brien mine. The grade was increased almost double to 9.48 grams per ton. And uh, as Uber Parent Bouchard explained in, this, uh, in his recent appearance on this show, a new understanding of the location of high-grade gold mineralization in the structure is what has, is resulting to a higher-grade resource. The stock moved a bit higher yesterday on the news, but it's fallen back some today. As I've told my subscribers, given the presence of numerous hungry mills near this deposit, I think this stock provides an excellent upside potential from its current price, which was a mere <clears throat> 11 cents this morning. <clears throat> That's in U.S. money. 
Now, understanding the geological controls is very important for uh, very important for Radisson. It's also a concept that is helping Peter Talman lead the exploration efforts of the gold of, of that company's mother load target, the Great Klondike Placer Gold Mines in the Yukon. Well, uh, they're on to some really high-grade structures now, or at least Peter believes they've figured out where those structures are. And Peter will be with me on a little while from now to talk about uh, to, to, to talk about uh, the plans and what's going on this summer in their drill program. Very exciting. Also, the massive scale of this thing, 55 kilometers long. The targets are absolutely uh, huge, and I think that we're going to have some a lot of excitement from that company as well. And then I want to mention the name of, a, of another company that I cover in my newsletter. They don't happen to be sponsors at this point in time, but I'm talking about Brixton Metals. Yesterday, they reported a 554-meter drill intercept that graded nearly two grams of gold equivalent. And that was on its Thorn Project in northwestern B.C. And the stock rose by 50% since yesterday. Uh, these are just a couple of examples that I am following right now. Really exciting. And when the wind is at our backs in the gold sector, these companies can raise capital to put holes in the ground. And with those exploration efforts, that's when some really exciting things start to happen, when wealth, massive amounts of wealth is discovered in the ground. Now, to be clear, investing in junior exploration stocks is a high-risk, high-reward game. But in a gold bull market, as I say, when there's wind at our backs and companies can raise the money, a portfolio of these kinds of stocks can be extremely rewarding. So I would suggest that if you have a speculative capital, if you have some speculative capital available that you can afford to put into this sector, you may want to consider subscribing to my newsletter and go to miningstocks.com to sign up for JTO's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. I've titled today's show, Preserving Wealth After the Next Financial Crisis. And as I just mentioned, Peter Talman, well, he'll be with me after the first commercial break to talk about Klondike Gold and, and the exploration efforts there. Michael Oliver will be with me in just a minute. Preserving wealth after the next financial crisis, as I say, that is the topic to be discussed with James Rickards during the second half of today's show. This is a topic of, of his most recent book titled Aftermath, Seven Secrets of Wealth Preservation in the Coming Chaos. So I want to ask Jim uh, James Rickards to explain why he is predicting chaos, the nature of it, and perhaps give us some ideas about how we can do the best to turn hard times into good times. But right now, to help us turn hard times into good times, Michael Oliver is with me. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Yes, uh, it's so good to have you. Always so good to have you, Michael. Our our listeners really love to hear from you. Uh, And I should tell those who aren't availing themselves to what Michael can offer. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Michael, uh, this morning I received an email from goldsilver.com with a headline titled, Everyone Hates Silver, and That's the Best Reason to Buy It Now. Obviously, this is a promotional advertisement from Gold Money or from an outfit called Gold Silver. So they have a vested interest in getting people to buy their silver products. But to give our listeners an objective view on silver, what are your thoughts about uh, poor man's gold? Well, it's... uh ready to explode, I think. <laughs> yeah. Over the last several years, after the first rally that occurred in 2016, post the bear market lows, gold exploded, silver exploded a lot more. But then in the couple of years since mid-2016 peak, silver eroded all the way back down to its low. It held it in the mid-13 area. 
And um, since uh, uh, since the low in August of last year in gold, which was uh, 1160 area, it's gone up over you know 1440 high. There, thereabouts, and we're trading above 1400 now. Silver has not recovered as much as gold has uh, off of its low. It's it's trading right now in the upper fifteen dollar area. Um, it's rally high of the recent uh, early this year was at sixteen twenty uh, in January and in February. So we're below that high, whereas gold is you know above those highs. And so you continue to look at silver on the price charts, and it says, "Gee, what a dog!" You know, it just it just can't uh, keep up with gold. It can't outpace gold. Well, we think it will uh, because our momentum studies of silver going back several years, show a structure not far overhead, not far above today's highs, that if you engage it and break out on the momentum charts, which is not evident when you look at a price chart, you can't see the breakout structures. It is so massive, wide, and horizontal structure on the quarterly momentum of silver that we think once we get up through our numbers, we could see silver shoot into the 20-plus area rapidly. Mm. I mean, you know, within weeks or a month or so. Uh, it's a massive structure, and it's like a, like a tinderbox. And there was, when you see something like this on a momentum chart, you wake up and say, this is this is upside crash situation. Uh, uh, anyway, so we think silver now, if you look just the last five days, gold has been toiling uh, between 1400 and 1420 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Silver shot straight up. It's gone from 15.15 traded today up to above 15.60. I think the settlement today is going to be 15.60 on the spot contract. So silver for the last handful of days has suddenly got, grown a backbone. It's behaving now like GDX has behaved over the last uh, couple months, which is vertical. So there's another example of a, of a gold-related investment, the, the gold miners, that was acting like uh, anemic for quite, mm-hmm. a, quite a period of time and not reflective of gold strengths. And then suddenly it came to life. And I think what happened is what we expected. We said that when gold goes through the silly price chart structure, the breakout level that everybody can see, namely at 1350, 1360 level, that outside investment capital will begin to flow into the gold market and related areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, since a lot of asset managers around the world, let's call them non-gold bug asset managers, when right. they decide that gold is uh, awakened and they need to participate, quite a few of them aren't going to participate in the bullion or in the futures. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to the miners, and that is mm-hmm. evident in the tone and structure of the, uh, what the gold miners have done over the last few months. Expect that from silver. Especially if we trigger our numbers, like which, like I said, we've specified to our subscribers, they're not far above today's highs. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, a few of the silver producers on my list, and I'm thinking, Michael, maybe it's time to add to the silver, uh, to the silver sector, and maybe uh, take some profits yes. from some of the gold guys. But first, Majestic uh, mm-hmm. uh, Silver Silvercrest is another one that I really love. It's not producing yet, but really developing a good project and then Avino Silver, those are some that I'll be passing on to my subscribers. Michael, just with two minutes left, uh, gold is uh, looks like uh, the paper guys have hammered it pretty hard today. What are your thoughts on on gold at this moment? Oh, I suspect the pullback we just had in gold, which is really, if you'll stand back and look at the price chart of gold, just run an <laughs> August gold chart, go back uh, to April, okay? Uh, we came up out of the hole quickly in late May, and then June exploded. And once we made our highs in uh, July, 
Look at what's happened on the price chart. Stand back and look at it. Compare it to congestion or peaks that we've made over the last several years. There's no comparison. It's a tight fist of ink. It's not a spike. Uh, We got up here, and we're staying up here. It's a Mm -hmm. funny-looking price chart, but it says, I am here to stay. The bids seem tight under the market. That's Mm -hmm. why it's holding this very little tight, now like four-week wide congestion zone. so I, the tonal nature of gold has changed, and I think that we're probably going to look for the next corrective move downside in gold to come from the mid to upper 1500s. And that's not a top. That's just a place where we expect the next surge to carry. Wow, and that's a pretty good move zone, from here. Yeah, from here it's a nice percent. But meanwhile, I would expect silver and gold miners to vastly percent-wise beat that move in gold. Beat gold bullion. Okay, great. Well, Michael, we'll have to leave it go at that. Um, We're out of time already. I know I wanted to ask you about a bunch of other things, but hopefully we'll have you back next week to cover some of those markets. All right. Thanks so much. Well, folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back with Peter Talman, the president and CEO of Klondike Gold Corp. This is a very exciting project that Peter's working on in uh, in the Yukon. It's actually the mother load of the vast placer gold fields of the Yukon in the late 1800s. And now it seems as though Peter is scoping in on the source the mother load source of all that gold, millions of ounces of gold that's been washed away over millions of years uh, into the creeks of the great Klondike. So we'll be right back with uh, Peter Talman right after the break. Don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again Peter Talman. He's the president and CEO of Klondike Gold Corp. Peter has had uh, quite an extensive background as an exploration geologist with a great deal of success finding different kinds of deposits. And um, you can read his bio at, uh, on my page, at, at this show's page at the Voice America Business Channel, uh, as well as their website at Klondike Gold's website. Peter, thanks for joining me again. It's great to be back. Great to have you with me. Uh, I'd like to mention always to my listeners, it's Klondike Gold Corp. KG's a symbol in Canada. KD, uh, KGF, KDJ, KGF is uh, down here in the States. 108.7 million shares, 25 cents in U.S. money earlier today, giving it a market cap around 
27 million U.S. dollars, which I think, Peter, is a pretty uh, a pretty minuscule market cap compared to what I'm thinking you might be uh, you might be revealing to us in the coming months and years ahead. Uh, so I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, for an update. Well, this is what we really want to know and up, get an update on what you're doing up there. I know you're working hard during the summer. Um, and I know that you in the past have talked about your project uh, sort of similar to the coffee gold deposit. It's sort of a disseminated gold deposit uh, uh, that was sold off to Gold Corp and made the shareholders of that company, that junior mining company, very happy with a windfall profit. And I, I like that comparison. But the last time we spoke, you talked a little bit about uh, another kind of style of mineralization that you equated to the Pogo gold deposit, which was a multi-million ounce gold deposit. Talk to us about Pogo and how it might compare with what you have. Uh, well, and and this goes back to, I, I think I, I heard you talk about the Klondike gold fields, and the, the Klondike is known kind of for flashy, high-grade, nuggety um, gold in quartz veins, which is very much like Pogo. Um, but also there's a component of disseminated finer gold, which is also recovered from the plaster. So Looking at that compared to where did that come from, uh, we've found two different styles of mineralization. Um, so geologically, the Klondike is, is very similar. Same rocks as, as Kamenak, so the coffee deposit, um, exactly the same age, same style, same structure. And at coffee, there's disseminated gold. Theirs is microscopic, so it needed cyanide to leach out. Ours we have a zone of disseminated gold at Lone Star. Um, the, the gold at Lone Star is actually millimeter size, so you can see it, but it's disseminated throughout the rock exactly the same way as the Kamenak deposits uh, were formed. And so we know now that Lone Star is the source of all the gold in Bonanza Creek, which is one of the discovery creeks of the Klondike Placer. Um, what we started looking at, though, was where did those quartz veins come from? How do they relate to Lone Star? And what we have been exploring is another zone called Nugget, which is a parallel trend to Lone Star. And each of these are kilometers long, appreciate, um, where there's lots of nuggety gold. And we couldn't drill that. We've, we've had difficulty with Nugget trying to formalize how it how it occurs and, and where it goes, and one of the comparisons structurally is Pogo, um, where there's an extension. It's, it's kind of technical, but there's a, a, an extension direction that kind of goes off at right angles to the trend that we have been drilling, and actually everybody in the history of the Klondike has, has kind of drilled it one way. Mm-hmm. And here's, a, here's something that's going 90 degrees that is Pogo, potentially, we should go look for it. And so we, we did some kind of desktop research over the winter, and we've been trenching this year and also begun drilling it. Uh, and it's, there, is, there are pogo-like veins on the property for sure. They are full of gold. They have nuggets in them. Um, and so that, that concept is correct. Whether or not that leads to a, a pogo deposit, but we definitely have pogo-style mineralization here. All right, so you've started drilling those structures, Peter? Yeah, yes, uh, we started, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a blur, but I'd say we've been three weeks into this now, three uh-huh. weeks to a month. Um, 
as I kind of we I, I emailed you a, a little bit. We we're having a little bit of a slowdown because there's a forest fire burning outside of Dawson. We had to contribute some of our heavy equipment to go fight that, and it slowed down our exploration plans a, a little. Um, but we just had some big rains the last couple of days, so that's knocked it down, and we're back on track. All right. So what? In general now, what are your objectives for this year's uh, drill season, and uh, how long will it go on? The, well, the, the two main targets are Nugget, which is the, the, the coarse Nuggety Gold, the Nugget Zone, which is, we have it, we have it in outcrop over 2.2 kilometers, and we're drilling it now in a couple of different directions, trying to look for pogo-like extensions to it. Um, that that's more exploration generative uh, mm-hmm. in scope, uh, and then very soon because we're just about finished that we're going to move the drills to Lone Star, and Lone Star is this disseminated zone. We have it over many kilometers. We've drilled one kilometer. Um, we have a developing resource there, and what we're going to try to do is double that this year. And so we've drilled one kilometer at 50 meter centers. And we're going to begin to do the next kilometer and hope to complete that fully this year. And that would that would be that that's substantial for the company because Lone Star currently holds the bulk of our potential resource, and uh, showing that it, it it doubles would be a really good thing. Uh, and you haven't really put out a public uh, resource number yet, though. Would you expect to do that at the end of this year? Um, no, um, the, the strategy is the, the strategy is to hit something close to two million ounces as a resource, as a first resource. So we're substantively along that. But uh, companies in the Yukon have been pump, punished for sub two million, um, and I think this this project we we have multi million ounces in view now, uh, and so we think we can get to two million relatively quickly, but it won't be this year. Yeah, I can understand that. I think if you, uh, you know, if you, if you say you have a million or, or less than two million ounces, and it turns out you have five or ten, uh, you'll never, you know, you'll, you'll get uh, sold short, essentially. The investors will say, ah, I've got more exciting places to go. I See you later. And uh, so that makes a lot of sense. And certainly another company that we're following, Great Bear Resources, has, uh, has that sort of strategy in mind, too, not to be too quick with a resource when you might have something much larger. And certainly the scope of what you've got there, Peter, over 55 kilometers long, uh, this whole this whole area, this whole district, it's really, it's really huge. Um, so, so go ahead. Well, and we've proven that, you know, we're working a, a very small area at one end of the property, and we've literally drilled uh, only four holes outside of that, and that's at the very other end, 55 kilometers away. And those have hit the same style of mineralization on a similar gold mineralized structure. So we, we, that indicates that the entirety of the belt is potentially mineralized. And so there's huge potential here, yes. That's exactly why we're not in a rush to publish a resource. So the, I mean, I'm really anxious to see what comes out of this, this high-grade drilling that you're doing on the coarse nuggety targets because that's where the exciting numbers could potentially come from. Obviously, a, a resource is important too. 
but I think that's what could drive your stock. When might we see some news then? What, what is your best estimate in terms of when we might actually get some drill results from these high, high-grade targets? Uh, when I started the summer, I figured we'd have stuff about now because we've been a little bit delayed getting going and some of the other mm-hmm. things going on. I, it's coming soon. It'll be the end of the month, I think, for the, for the first uh, drill results. And mm-hmm. from there, then it's just good. like the it'll continue through August and into September with results all the way through, like probably once a week, something like that. I understand you're at a at a conference now. What what is the conference? Uh, what is it dealing with? It's the Yukon Mining Investment Conference, and it's mm-hmm. hosted in Dawson. So it's right it's around the corner from my office here, where I'm sitting now. I literally. Anyway, they've attracted a bunch of really high-end fund analysts and, and other market participants, and we have one-on-one interviews for this entire day, and then the, the analysts go on tours to the various properties in the Yukon. So it's promoting really the jurisdiction of the Yukon, which is a really good one, and all the mineral wealth that's here, most of the projects are gold projects, and mm-hmm. I've got to say, I've had a really good morning with some very, very high-end analysts who are impressed mm-hmm. with what we've done so far. Excellent. Uh, so, so we can look forward to the drill results coming out, and I think you indicated there may be some other uh, news that's coming out even before that, possibly. Yeah. Well, we have the results of our, you know, the the early regional programs. So we flew a lidar. Uh, surveys, some soil surveys. Um, anyway, some some of that generative work that actually led to where we're drilling. So that mm-hmm. those final results, I'm I'm actually expecting them today or tomorrow, and there'll be a news release right away to to summarize that. So this will help investors understand why you're drilling where you are, and and also help them understand what the prospects are. I think of uh, of coming up with something that's important. That's, uh, yes, the prospects and also the scope of, uh, particularly at Lone Star, the scope is really big, and I think the the results are going to kind of preface that so that when you get the draw results, you'll have some idea of, hey, it's it, it's big, and it's going to get bigger. Wonderful. It's a great story, Peter. That's uh, really one of, my, one of my largest personal holdings, as you know. I think I've told you that, and uh, it really is something I'm watching. I mean, this is where the real wealth creation is in the discovery of these major deposits, and I think you have a real chance uh, for, for joining some of the other select uh, companies that have really found some, some great deposits in the last year or so. So really glad to have you on again with me, and I uh, look forward to keeping up with your story going forward. Uh, thank you, Jay. It's, it's great being on. Great to have you, and uh, all the best. We'll be, uh, we'll be watching for press releases, that's for sure, and we'll pass them on to our listeners. Uh, before you come on the next time. Thanks so much. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away. I'm going to be right back with James Rickards. He will be talking about uh, his book, Aftermath, Seven Secrets of Wealth Preservation in the Coming Chaos. That should be a really interesting discussion with James Rickards, so don't go away. I'll be right back. has begun. 
Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again James Rickards. Uh, he's here to talk to, uh, today about his most recent book. He is a prolific author, and uh, I picked up a copy of this uh, and really started looking at it earlier today. It's a really exciting read, exciting and very interesting, fascinating, especially if you're in the markets and you're interested in geopolitics and uh, global monetary systems and the like. It's really, I think, a must-read for sure. The title of the book is Aftermath, Seven Secrets of Wealth Preservation in the Coming Chaos. Thanks for joining me again, James. Thank you, Jay. It's great to be with you. It's really good to have you with me. James is a longtime gold book. I've, you know, I've, I've reminded myself, I've been reminded by others uh, mostly uh, about, you know, it's this, all this gloom and doom that I've been involved with and I've sort of bought into has been somewhat misplaced and uh, Certainly, if I look back and, and had invested less in gold mining shares and, and, and gold and some of, those, uh, some of those themes, I would have done much better with my portfolio over a long period of time. But now here you come with, along with this book that's suggesting that some kind of chaos lies in our future. What makes you so sure that we're going to live through a chaotic future? And what kind of chaos do you anticipate? Well, uh, thanks, you. That's actually the... The easy part, when I uh, talk about a coming financial catastrophe, liquidity crisis, uh, some sort of chaos in the international monetary system, that's that's actually easy to forecast because it's happened again and again. It's not rare. Uh, mm-hmm. Just go back in the recent past. You don't have to go back to, uh, you know, 1914. You could when the New York Stock uh-huh. Exchange was closed for four months. Uh, you tell people that. They go, oh, that never happened. Yes, it did. The New York Stock Exchange was closed for four months. People went outside on the curb and traded, uh, you know, paper shares for cash uh, in the street. But mm-hmm. – um, just more recently, October 19, 1987, the Dow Jones fell 22% in one day. Not a week or a month, but one day. That would be, uh, in today's market, that would be the equivalent of 5,000 Dow points in yeah. a single day. That happened. 1994, Mexico was on the brink of collapse. Uh, Bob Rubin had to tap into the Exchange Stabilization Fund to bail out Mexico. In 1997, emerging market debt crisis. 
1998, uh, Russia, long-term capital management, liquidity crisis, 2000, the, uh, the dot-com collapse, NASDAQ fell 80%, um, 2007, a mortgage crisis, 2008, a global liquidity crisis. So these things happen with, with great frequency. Now, it hasn't happened in 10 years, uh, and that's because the Fed um, basically propped up the entire system. I mean, in the response to the panic in 2008, it wasn't just um, oh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, cut interest rates to zero and do QE. I mean, they guaranteed every money market fund in the United States. They guaranteed every bank deposit in the United States, regardless of size. It wasn't the $250,000 FDIC limit. They say, we don't care how much it is, we guarantee it. They did $10 trillion of currency swaps with the European Central Bank, gave them dollars, they gave us euros. So ECB could bail out the European banks, which had dollar liabilities when the ECB couldn't print dollars. So uh, when I when I paint these scenarios, they're, they're not rare, they're not infrequent. Um, me- memories are short. Uh, yeah, yeah st- stock market at an all-time high. People go, well, that'll never happen. My answer is it absolutely will happen. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow morning. It might not happen next year, but it will happen. It's, it's very easy to foresee. Um, and what I say to investors is, you know, what are you waiting for? I've had, um, it's almost a question, you know, after you give a, a presentation or something, people walk up to you and it's, it's always nice to meet people. I enjoy the conversations, but people said in effect, Hey Jim, call me three in the afternoon, the day before and I'll sell my stocks and go buy some gold. And I said, first of all, I'm not going to know the day I, I can see it coming, but I'm not going to yeah. know the day. If I did, I might be a little busy that day myself, but, uh, but what are you waiting for? Because when you want to buy that protection, you know, it's like buying fire insurance in the middle of a fire, good luck. Um, why not do it now? What are you waiting for? So that's that's part of the answer to uh, to the question of timing. And, uh, you know, you don't have to go all in, you know, Jay, you know as well as I do when you're in the public forum, you have a you know, broadcast or a lecture or a book or, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, people always want to put words in your mouth and act like they know what you're going to say, uh, even if, you never, if you've never said it. And people say things like, well, you know, Jim Rickards, he, he says, you know, the world's coming to an end, sell everything, buy gold. I've never said any one of those things. I don't believe them. I don't think the world's coming to an end. Uh, I wouldn't sell everything. Uh, and yeah, it's good to have an allocation to gold, but I recommend 10%, not 50%, not 100%. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of room in a portfolio like that for stocks and cash and bonds and, and other instruments. So I, I take a balanced approach, but I'm not going to shy away from uh, you know, analyzing the system. And by the way, I should make it clear, Jay, I don't, you know, when I make forecasts like this, I'm not just pulling some crazy scenario out of thin air to get attention. Uh, you know, I, I don't need that. Um, no. But, uh, but it, it's science. It's analytical science. I use statistical techniques i use historical techniques i use a lot of things in my model that are they're different from wall street and the fed and uh um yeah i have a pretty good uh, track record uh, the other thing people say uh, well you know you've been talking about this a long time we haven't had a crisis well the first thing i would say is yeah just wait but you know in um in june 2016 i was in london uh, June 20, 2016, I was in London, one of those capsules on the London Eye. That's the big, you know, Ferris wheel on the south mm-hmm. bank of the Thames. And I was, I was recording um, an advisory, and I said, uh, the people of the UK in three days are going to vote to leave the EU, um, and you should short sterling and buy gold 
uh, because the market reaction is going to be very predictable. Well, I put that out there. I called it correctly. They did vote to leave the EU. And, and for months afterwards, I got emails and letters saying, you know, thank you for putting my kids through college because I followed your advice and <laughs> yeah. made a fortune on those trades. In uh, late October, early November 2016, I was going around the world. I was in Australia and Europe and New York uh, doing, you know, TV interviews and said, uh, they said, well, who's going to win the election? I said, Donald Trump. I said, it'll be close. We'll be up late, but Trump's going to win. And, you know, and I, and I always back it up. I gave the analysis. You, you get laughed at, you get ridiculed. Yeah. But that was another one that we got right. So you, you don't, you know, using the methods I use, you can get a lot of things right in the meantime while you're waiting for the, uh, let's call it the big one. Mm-hmm. Timing isn't always easy, but if you, uh, if you based on the history, uh, it uh, it rhymes, as, as they say, and uh, history rhymes, and you shouldn't. Ignore history, which seems to me something that most people do ignore. As you say, we've had all of these uh, all, all of these problems that you just outlined, uh, going back to 1987, and and people just seem to think, well, this time it's different. This time we're not going to have a problem. Um, but there's a cost to all of this, um, and that's what I'd like to explore with you too. There's a cost to all of this market rigging to try to keep things from falling apart. We've had ten years, uh, ten year bull market. I think it's one of the longest bull markets in stocks. Certainly, it's going to end sometime, as you point out. But there's so much to talk to you about. I'd like to ask you about, in your book, you're suggesting that people should stay away from the um, from things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Why so? Uh, because they, they have no use case. Uh, they're non-sustainable, non-scalable, no use case. Uh, they're, not, they're not good for anything. Uh, the, the only thing Bitcoin has ever, the only use case that has ever developed for Bitcoin is criminality. So for tax evasion, money laundering, terrorist finance. I worked with the U.S. Special Operations Command in uh, Tampa a few years ago during the height of uh, ISIS when uh, ISIS was using cryptocurrencies and we were developing ways to you know, defeat that and, and track it and so forth. Uh, so it's good for terrorists, child pornographers. So it's good for that class of people and worse. Uh, but it's not good for uh, you know, if you want to buy a cup of coffee, you got Visa and MasterCard. Uh, they're 10,000 times faster. Um, and you know, Bitcoin... Uh, as you know, requires a huge amount of electricity to run the computers to do the so-called mining, producing more Bitcoin. Uh, that's getting to the point where they're they're already using more than the country of Ireland, and pretty soon they'll be approaching the annual electric usage of Japan, which is the third largest nation in the world. Well, that, that uh, third largest economy in the world, that's not going to be allowed to happen. Does anyone seriously think the G20 or the United Nations or OECD or anybody's going to allow? cryptocurrency mining to use that that much electricity but that is how much you have to use to kind of mine the, the last bitcoin the other thing about bitcoin i like to say you know satoshi satoshi nakamoto he she or it it could be uh you know a a, a team operating uh on a classified basis at raytheon has built this thing kind of getting into every payment network in the world leave that to one side uh but they know a lot about technology applied mathematics and coding they don't know anything about monetary economics. Um, you know, Nakamoto had an axe to grind about Fed money printing. Well, so do I. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was going to produce inflation, which it didn't do, but it had other, um, you know, kind of negative side effects. Mm-hmm. So he, his answer to that was to put a hard cap on the total number of Bitcoins, about uh, 23 million. Uh, but And we're approaching that cap. And as you get closer, each math problem you have to solve gets exponentially mm-hmm. more difficult than the one before. So we may never get there. But the point is, there's a cap on um, 
on the number of Bitcoin. That's a really dumb monetary system. It's, it's actually a monetary system that's destined to fail because you actually need the money supply to grow in line with the economy. Now, you can grow the money supply too fast and get inflation, and that's not good. But a well-managed monetary system, uh, and by the way, even gold, if you have a gold standard as your monetary base, gold isn't capped. Uh, gold output increases about 1.6% per year mm-hmm. relative to the total stock of above-ground gold. And, you know, population grows about the same. So, the, so gold's kind of in line with um, real growth. Uh, of course, you can have much higher inflationary growth, but gold is not capped. Gold grows with the economy, uh, but Bitcoin doesn't. That means it's inherently deflationary. Well, no economy, no form of money stands alone. It's, it's basically a platform in which you produce debt and credit that is really what drives the economy. So if you're going to cap it and the economy continues to grow, that means it's inherently deflationary. Each Bitcoin should be worth more in theory. Uh, mm-hmm. But the problem is you never get a debt market. You never get a credit market. Who wants to borrow in a deflationary currency, because that means you got to pay back more than mm-hmm. you borrowed in real time, not just because of interest, but the currency actually becomes more expensive and you got to pay back more. So therefore, with this built-in deflationary bias, you'll never get a bond market or a debt market. So in every respect, sustainability, scalability, monetary theory, it falls down. It has no use case other than criminality. The only thing it's good for is gambling. Um, and by the way... Um, <laughs> And I know I know people have made millions of dollars in Bitcoin. I mean, they're yeah. they're real. There are Bitcoin millionaires and billionaires out there. But what's what's important to understand is that every Bitcoin profit comes out of somebody else's pocket. It's a zero sum game. I'd even say negative sum game because of all the energy you're using. You take uh, Bill Gates for example. So Bill Gates is worth you know about eighty billion dollars, uh, give or take. Uh, but he created Microsoft, the Microsoft disk operating system and Windows and all that software. And he added trillions of dollars of value to the global economy. So mm-hmm. if his share was $80 billion, but he added trillions in, in value added, that's fair. That's the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Bitcoin, there's no value added. I mean, if people make money and lose money, but it's a zero-sum game at best. There is no value added to the economy from Bitcoin. It's a gambling medium for you know, naive millennials or Bitcoin mm-hmm. miners who are manipulating the market or ramps or pump and dump, fine, knock yourself out, but it's not good for anything. All right. Uh, while we're on the issue of cryptocurrencies, you know, in, chap- in Chapter 7, you talk about China and Russia working together uh, to create a, kip- a, crypto to- a crypto gold system. Can you talk about that a little bit and why, why might they be doing that and, and, and what might that look like, a crypto gold system? Sure. And this is, uh, by the way, I should be clear, I don't, I don't have very many good things to say about Bitcoin. I would say much the same is true of Ethereum and Ripple and some of these other uh, cryptocurrencies. But it doesn't mean that all cryptocurrencies all the time are worthless. It depends how you structure it in mm-hmm. terms of governance, backing, use case, you know, et cetera. You can envision, I do envision, um, a new kind of cryptocurrency. This would be sort of jointly sponsored by Russia and China. Uh, by the way, they're already working on this. This isn't some, you know, pie-in-the-sky science fiction mm-hmm. scenario. This is already underway. So in the last 10 years, Russia has more than tripled its gold reserves from about 600 tons to 2,300 tons. China has more than tripled its gold reserves from also 600 tons to around 2,000 tons, although China probably has more. Why are they buying all that gold? I mean, are they stupid? 
or do they see something coming that perhaps others don't? Well, I spent a lot of time in China and Russia. I have a friend in both, place, in both places. They're not stupid. They see something coming. And what they're developing is what's called a permissioned distributed ledger. And the distributed ledger is just another name for a blockchain. But permissioned means that you can only participate in it if they let you in. So it's like joining a club. You know, you have to mm-hmm. be voted in by the members. Now, blockchain is not permissioned. Anybody can start a blockchain. Not mining, uh, sorry, a Bitcoin, rather. It's not permissioned. Anyone can start a Bitcoin mm-hmm. mining operation and buy it, sell it, swap it, whatever you want. But permissioned means you can only get in if they let you in. And they create a new token call it a Putin coin or a Xi coin, uh, whatever you like, linked to some defined asset. could be the IMF special drawing right. could be a weight in gold, um, something other than the dollar. And then you set up a, <clears throat> pardon me, a trading network. So maybe you would include Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, Turkey. Maybe you could invite in some of the other BRICs, um, Brazil, India, Maybe uh, China would lean on Hong Kong and get them to join, et cetera. But all of a sudden, you have this trading network. And now uh, Iran sells oil to China. Russia sells natural gas to China. China sells infrastructure to Russia. North Korea sells infrastructure to, sorry, uh, weapon systems to Iran. Everyone takes a vacation mm-hmm. in Turkey. Yeah, well, this commerce going on. But what's different is that everything's priced in this new token. Again, call it the, the Xi coin or Putin coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then periodically, not every trade, not on a gross basis, but on a net basis, twice a year or whatever, you settle up in gold. And the gold doesn't even have to go anywhere. You could have a trusted deposit, non-bank depository in a place like Switzerland or somewhere and just change the name tags on the gold. But the point is, what's missing from that system? The dollar. There are no dollars. You're not using Fedwire. You're not using SWIFT. You're not using dollars. You're not using any accounts that the United States can freeze or seize. Uh, so you're completely outside U.S. sanctions. And now you've greatly diminished because the, the U.S. has weaponized the dollar. We've weaponized sanctions as a, as a weapon of war, as a, a financial mm-hmm. war vehicle. But you've rendered that impotent by coming up with an alternative that doesn't use dollars uh, but does use gold. So um, it's just this is already in the works. Uh, I've spoken to people in the Pentagon, the Treasury, the national security community about this. You know, you, you always you can always get a meeting, you can always get an attentive audience. They go, yeah, really interesting, Jim. I hear you. Um, but the Treasury just doesn't get it. They don't, they can't foresee a day when the dollar is not uh, the indispensable, indisputable reserve currency. But it's actually not that uh, uh, not that hard to imagine. What do you think could trigger that, James? Well, it's already happening. It, it has been triggered by what I call the weaponization of the dollar. So, wh- so it's a slow process. It's a slow, it's a slow process that's underway now. Well, you make that case, I believe, in yeah, Chapter but, 6. But, yes, but maybe not so slow. Uh, we're, we're in a financial war with Iran right now. Everyone's saying, well, it's a, you know, it's a good thing that uh, Trump didn't fire cruise missiles after Iran shot the drone down because that would have started a war. Sorry, we're in a war today, now. But it's a financial war. It's not a shooting war. Uh, although Iran did blow up a couple oil tankers, and there's another one missing uh, as of the other day. But uh, it, it's a financial war. So what are we doing? We've kicked Iran out of the dollar payment system. We're, we're, uh, tr- we're kicking them out of SWIFT. That's the international payment system. We're putting an embargo on Iranian oil sales. Uh, we're saying if you're a bank and you do business with Iran, we're going we're to kick you out of the United States. So, of course, they won't do business with Iran. Well, this is having effects. They've got uh, 50% 
uh, inflation. The value of the currency has dropped by half. People are taking the money out of the banks. They're having to raise interest rates to keep the money in the banks. They cannot get imported goods. Social uh, dissatisfaction is rising. So we're, we're halfway to regime change in Iran without firing a shot using financial weapons only. So the point is, these weapons are, are actually very effective. Uh, they, they're very powerful. Uh, they, they brought North Korea to the table. Uh, they may be bringing Iran to the table even as we speak. We see the Chinese economy slowing down significantly because of tariffs and other uh, sanctions and prohibition on Chinese companies buying U.S. companies, et cetera. So these are very powerful weapons. But the U.S. is kind of like the schoolyard bully. You know, the bully comes in, beats up a kid, comes back the next day, beats up another kid, and so on. But one day the bully shows up, and all the other kids form a gang, and they beat the stuffing out of the bully. Mm-hmm. Um, so you invite a reaction. You invite um, a kind of retaliation, and that is what we're seeing. It's not here yet in full form, but it's underway. And uh, it'll, you know, things like this will be announced uh, sooner than later, and all of a sudden we'll wake up and. The dollar won't be as important or powerful as it was, and everyone will say, what happened? Well, the answer is, this is what you should expect. Yeah, so the process is underway, but what if I hear what you're saying, it, uh, the, the realization of the process may be rather sudden on the people of Treasury and Americans in general who don't see this at all. Correct. I, mean, I, I was in a national security meeting in, in Washington. I was sitting next to a very senior Treasury official, and I basically said what I just said to you and uh, – and the audience, uh, you know, it's not like a, it, it's very straightforward. I'm very uh, open about it. Uh, and But this Treasury official kind of banged the table and said, the dollar has been the global reserve currency. It's the global reserve currency today, and it always will be the global reserve <laughs> currency. And I turned to him and I said, you know, I feel like I'm in Whitehall in 1913 listening to John Bull say, you know, sterling will always be the global reserve currency. Uh-huh. And, 30 years later, it was uh, it was marginalized. So uh, so these things do happen. Uh, I don't think they're that hard to see coming if you can take the 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 the, the blinders off and uh, and think realistically about it. But uh, people have difficulty doing that. One very interesting point. I mean, there's among many hundreds of interesting points in your book, but in chapter six. You talk about the correlation of gold with the dollar has become far less pronounced. And in fact, uh, it has been relatively stable to the SDR, I believe, if I read that correctly. Could you comment on that? That would sort of seem that maybe some of this connection to gold is already underway by the Chinese and the Russians and those that are building up their gold stockpiles. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, that, that's that's right. This was something that was called to my attention uh, by uh, an analyst in Switzerland named uh, D.H. Blair, and he sent me his uh, research and paper on this kind of unsolicited, and I looked at it, and I I understood it, but I said, well, this can't be right. I mean, actually went, went did I, I duplicated his research with my own data, and I came to exactly the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. I saw that he had it right. And what he pointed out was that uh, it all pivots around the date, October 1st, 2016. Well, mm-hmm. what happened on October 1st, 2016? That mm-hmm. was the day the Chinese yuan was admitted to the basket that sets the value of the SDR, the special drawing right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so um, but prior to that, there had been a close correlation between the dollar value of gold and the SDR value of gold. The SDR, the special drawing right, it's, it's world money, uh, but it has a has a valuation and you can convert it to. Uh, the weight of gold using market prices. So, you know, you look at the chart, it was volatile, 
but you know, here's the dollar price of gold and here's the SDR price of gold. And they were very closely correlated. Well, that's not really surprising because the dollar is the biggest component of the SDR. Mm-hmm. But, but like clockwork on that day, uh, October 1st, 2016, what happened, the dollar gold price continued to be volatile and go its own way. But the SDR gold price started trading in a, in a narrow range. It was kind of flat, flat line. And the, the range was, you know, the wide range was uh, 850 SDRs to 950 SDRs. You know, 850 is a strong SDR and, and a weaker gold price. 950 is a weaker SDR and a stronger gold price. But there was an even narrower range. Uh, they got to kind of eight, 875 to 925. So it looked like, and I couldn't prove this, this is a hypothesis, but it uh-huh. looked like somebody somewhere was pegging the price of gold to the SDR, not to the dollar, but to the SDR, because all of a sudden the SDR price was in a range and the dollar price kept going up. Um, Well, who could do that? Well, there are only four entities in the world that could pull that off, the United States, the European Central Bank, the IMF, and China. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you can pretty much eliminate the U.S. and, and, and the European Central Bank. I don't know why it would be in their interest. But they're also fairly transparent about their gold holders. You would, if they were selling and buying gold to manipulate the market, you would see that, and it does not show up uh, in the data. The IMF could, but um, again, they're they're a relatively small player, and I don't know why they would want to do it. But the Chinese are non-transparent, um, and they have they have something called Safe State Administration on Foreign Exchange. It's like a sovereign wealth fund, but it's completely non-transparent. Everyone looks at the People's Bank of China. That's interesting, but look at SAVE. Well, you can't look at it because, as I say, it's non-transparent. But they have the capacity to do that. And you wouldn't necessarily have to buy or sell a lot of gold. All you would have to do is, uh, if you wanted the SDR price of gold to go down, all you'd have to do is, uh, you know, buy dollars, which would increase, uh, sorry, sell dollars, which would decrease the value of the SDR. So using dollars, euros, SDRs themselves, and gold if you wanted to, you could target and manipulate this price. So um, they haven't admitted that. And by the way, even if they're doing that, and the evidence indicates that they are, even though you can't prove it, but even if they are, it will fail also because it's the wrong price. All these prices, SDRs, dollars, euros, they're all too low. Uh, if you, The minute you compare gold to the money supply, mm-hmm. if you want to back a money supply with gold, you realize you need, a, you need a much higher dollar or euro or SDR price of gold to mm-hmm. maintain that system. And uh, I spoke to Paul Volcker about this, and he just kind of rolled his eyes and said, yeah, if you want to go back to the gold standard, get ready for you know a much, as he put it, a much, much higher price for gold. And he's right about that. My, my estimate, estimate is... $10,000 an ounce, but it could easily be much higher. All right. Well, you know, we're just about out of time, James, and I, I want people to realize how exciting and interesting, and not only exciting and interesting, but also informative and uh, practical your book is, The Aftermath, uh, Seven Secrets of Wealth Preservation in the Coming Chaos. You provide seven secrets, and then, uh, you know, and, and why it's important that people understand what's going on and how they can protect themselves then uh, to preserve their wealth when people that aren't aware of them are going to lose their shirts, essentially. Uh, we just point out uh, a fascinating chapter, chapter one, which you get into uh, James Clapper at the CIA and how he got rid of a of an outfit that you were working for that was really involved in, in monitoring in foreign investment in the United States. It ties in uh, with the Clinton Foundation, the purchase and the sale of uh, uranium and the Uranium One. It's just a fascinating read. Very, very, very interesting but also very practical. Chapter two 
prepare for slow growth and parabolic recessions for decades to come. Lots of practical things in this book, and it's just, you know, it, it's almost uh, it's almost like reading an exciting novel, I must say. If you're interested in what's going on in the world today, James, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Really a, a, a joy and a pleasure having you. Thank you, Jay. Folks, uh, next week um, we're going to have Craig Huey with us. He's going to talk about a book that he's just written, The Deep State, 15 Surprising Dangers That You Should Know About. And so until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 